finally had enough of my own endless, uncreative complaints. I made my promise to do better. I turned round. I journeyed backward for millions of miles and millions of years into the end of miles and years to retrieve these words for you. You must be the one to do or undo whatever it takes to remember and activate your own furiously prolific heart and your innate allegiance to every creature living and dying here with you. Our whole world is aching to be intimate with you again. Kiss me, sweet one, when you make it home. There was a poem called Reunion by Brooke McNamara. And that's from her new book, Bury the Seed. And I wanted to read it because it spoke deeply to me, that poem of my own journey and perhaps even to this work we do as coaches. The stance that we can take as coaches when we face our clients and we say, you must be the one. So I uh, took a long time trying to find a poem because I got (laughs) immersed in reading all the poems in Brooke's book and I can just really recommend that you check it out too. I'm more and more convinced of the need for us as coaches, as human beings to embrace these different modes of being as humans, the poetic being chief among those. Okay, welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel. And what I'd like to say first is I really appreciate everybody that reached out to us to share their appreciation on the last podcast with Jerry Colonna. It was a beautiful conversation. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out and share, share your gratitude. And today I'm going to be speaking with another man who I think is um, a beautiful being and a mentor of mine, a spiritual mentor of mine, John Prendergast. You might have caught the first podcast that we ever did together. He's a spiritual teacher and a therapist, and he has a powerful way of working with people, combining both those kind of domains or modalities. Uh, He studied with Jean Klein for a long time, who's gone on to include um, Francis Lucille and then Rupert Spira in that that kind of lineage. So some really beautiful teachers. And then uh, John's second major teacher, I think, was Adyashanti, who probably many of you have heard of. So in this conversation, well, we're going to talk about his new book, The Deep Heart. Um, His last book, In Touch, I loved it. And this book is equally as good. So in the conversation today, we're going to go into how John works with his clients. Like, How is he leveraging the presence that we fundamentally are in his work with clients. And so just to say something very quickly about that, yeah, why have a teacher like this spiritual teacher on a podcast for coaches? Well, for me, it's it's fundamentally important to be able to to access something greater than our usual sense of self, the thinking mind, uh, um, the ego that's oriented towards homeostasis. And often our self-development project comes out of that, you know, and it comes out this sense of lack. 
Like, oh, when I can um, uh, get to that place and fix myself, then I'll be okay. But it's only when we access this presence that we are, which is beyond this usual sense of self, that we can tap into its inherent capacity to, to meet our conditioning unconditionally in a way that it begins to integrate, to heal and integrate. And then we, we accelerate our transformational process. That's why things like internal family systems work so well. So that is why I want you as a coach to listen to this podcast, why I invite you to listen to this podcast, because I think it's so important. So and without further ado, here is John Prendergast. John, excellent to be speaking with you again. Actually, Hello. we've spoken a few times. It's, uh, it's, it's a delight. How are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. It's uh, always uh, quite enjoyable to speak with you, Joel. Mm. Um, well, we're going to talk today about your new book. I, la- I loved your last book, In Touch. And um, you've got a new book out called The Deep Heart, Our Portal to Presence. And um, so I think it's a good opportunity to explore some of the ideas in that book. And, and we can also connect that to coaching. And I, th- I wanted to just say something about that just at the um, outset of our conversation, because to just to kind of uh, create some relevancy for, for coaches listening, you know, one of the, th- the things even I was thinking about was like, ah, oh, you know, performance, you know, actually a lot of coaches or coaching leaders or people to perform more skillfully with more wisdom, with more compassion. And uh, me too, you know, like my own spiritual journey in some ways has been about how can I live with more freedom and happiness and that, how can that kind of translate into my life? And so, um, you know, I think one of the most effective ways we can do that is actually to begin to wake up, well, to begin to wake up out of our, our egos. And, and what I mean by ego there is not, you know, like the kind of useful functioning ego that we need in the world, but more the, the kind of the ego that's controlling and defended um, and, and kind of very self-referential. And, and so waking up out of that to create freedom and space out of that um, is just such an effective way to increase performance and, and to create more wisdom and more compassion. So um, that being said, well, I don't know if you want to say anything, just, um, you know. Well, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I completely agree. It's like when we get the less attached we are to our self-image and story, which is, you know, what we'll use as a definition of ego, the more freedom we feel. And, um, we're actually tapping into a deeper wisdom and uh, a deeper compassion. You know, what I call shorthand, I call heart wisdom. And it does, it does help our performance. Um, and I think the reason it helps performance is because we're more authentic. We're just more real. We're more ourselves. We're more at ease. And that gets communicated on... Uh, in our words and, you know, in our, the way that we act and behave, but really it radiates out from our very being. And what's interesting is people can sense that when, when we're with someone who's very real, deeply authentic, and that can be just in terms of sharing their ideas or their feelings, but on an even more profound level, on essential level, we feel something. Um, we feel our own being 
um, resonate when we're with um, with people who tap into it themselves. So when you're talking about, for instance, just now, Joel, the sense of of inner freedom, um, it's communicated in more than words. It's interesting. So this is, I think, this is the real leadership, and it's not the leadership of you know, a charismatic individual or someone who's mastered necessarily a body of knowledge, although there is, you know, there are qualities of leadership that arise from that. But it's really, in a way, it's the willingness to follow something much greater um, and to be led by, by life, really, and be led by a spontaneous intelligence and compassion that is always available um, in any moment. So the more at ease we are, the less concerned we are about, you know, what does someone think about us or, or how well are we doing? Really, the freer we are to share and, and something universal starts moving through us. Mm. So, yeah, for people listening, maybe it's good to sort of um, point towards that something bigger than us, you know, so that it, it's not like a vague idea but actually it's something tangible that we can you know that we can um hold on to in this conversation and and, and my choice of words is interesting there because <laughs> you know i know the mind wants to grasp it right it's like we want to we want to make it into something and that's what minds do we we make it into an object and and um you know, there's a, a obvious inclination and temptation to try to do that. But um, so we, let's see if we can talk about this in a way that kind of is resonant for listeners and, and allows them to attune, actually. It's, it, so this is where the language gets interesting rather than grasp. It's mm -hmm. actually a kind of listening to or attuning to a quiet, open, awake, loving awareness uh, that's always available and, and often in the background of our awareness, unnoticed. So a lot of this process is about paying attention to awareness itself. So normally we're, our attention is absorbed in our thinking and in our feelings with, and our sensations. And feelings, in this case, I'm, I'm meaning emotions, and they're a subset of sensation. So our, our ordinary experience of life is filled with attention to some, uh, some combination of these aspects of experience. But rarely do we pay attention to awareness itself. Like none of these aspects of experience, thoughts, feelings, and sensations, um, would be, we wouldn't be able to experience any of it without awareness. We have to be aware first. But awareness is not like a thought, a feeling, or sensation. It's more of a context uh, rather than an object or a content of awareness. So it's a real shift of attention from objects of awareness to awareness itself, a very a quiet background, um, wakeful awareness. And as we're more aware of this, we actually feel a sense of presence. This is what <clears throat> awake, the recognition of awake awareness is. And we can feel it through the mind as a kind of clarity and sense of spaciousness and openness. And we can feel it through the heart area uh, as a quality of love and gratitude and compassion. And we can feel it 
um, in the lower area of our body, in our belly, and our lower belly, what we could call the hara in Japanese, is a sense of profound stability and, and silence, no matter what's going on. So these are, are different portals, different areas of listening. If we listen very carefully to uh, our thoughts and that which is aware of thought, we begin to attune with this background, open, spacious awareness. And if attention goes through the heart area, uh, and increasingly more deeply, uh, we tap into this field of loving awareness. And that's really the main focus of my new book, The Deep Heart. And if we tap into it through the hara, we, we feel that sense of inner stability. And they all, they support each other. It's, it's fascinating how the body is um, an expression of this field of awareness and, and can be attuned um, uh, in deeper ways and more refined ways to this uh, field of loving awareness. Mm. Thanks for saying that, you know, thanks for describing that, pointing towards that, because, um, you know, I feel my, that I feel it come more to the foreground as you speak. And I think there's an invitation for people, you know, just as, as they're listening, as you, as you already said, you know, just to, to listen from that place, you know, that there's this sense of I amness or, or, or awareness, you know, which is um, so close, it's easy to miss. And, and yet, you know, none of us could deny, you know, if we were to say, are you aware? Um, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't, we ha- we'd have to agree with that. You oh. know? So, so kind of pointing towards that space, I think is, you know, it's a beautiful place to carry on with our conversation now about your book. Yeah. Um, well, it, it is. Uh, it is beautiful. And we can feel <clears throat> what's important is that we not just speak about it, but we learn to speak from it. And it's a, it's a different voicing. Uh, it comes from a place of openness and spontaneity and, and creativity as well. There's a quality of surprise. <laughs> you never know what's coming next. And yet what does come have a, has, a, has a delightful quality to it and and we can sense and feel that mm-hmm. so let me ask you about your book um i'm curious about well what inspired you to write it you know you, you've written this other book fantastic book and was it just the kind of creative impulse or was there was there another reason that you decided to write it well it's it's a good question and it's a <clears throat> it's a bit of a mystery um I mean, in the last book, In Touch, um, I, I focused, um, some of your listeners will know and others not, I, I focused on kind of four somatic markers of inner knowing um, that are also portals. And those are <clears throat> open-heartedness and spaciousness and groundedness and a sense of inner alignment. And what I noticed in my work, both with individuals and my therapy practice and in groups and retreats is it was very fascinating as people would get quiet and kind of drop in um, these, these um, aspects of inner knowing somatically sensed, subtly sensed would begin to emerge, not with everyone, not necessarily all four, sometimes a combination of different ones. And so it was very interesting to me to, to experience this phenomena and to be able Actually, it felt important and helpful um, 
as markers that help people recognize their inner knowing or their inner teacher. And could, could I ask you to define what you mean by that as well, inner knowing? <clears throat> inner knowing is... It's a different, uh, what I can do is I contrast it from, uh, I can contrast it from ordinary knowing, which is more mental and analytic and indirect and dualistic, uh, where there's uh, more of a a knower and something known, um, an object of knowing. And it, it tends to, this other kind of knowing tends to be more judgmental, um, and assertive, uh, and come more from uh, <clears throat> memory. The inner knowing has a quality of, uh, it's much quieter. It doesn't assert. It doesn't judge. It doesn't insist. Um, it's very direct. It doesn't explain itself. Uh, it can come in different channels. It can come simply as uh, a direct knowing without any particular thought or image. Or it can come as sometimes as subtle sensation um, accompanied with image and, and maybe feeling, um, which is sometimes described as a felt sense uh, in the body. Eugene Genlin coined that phrase. Uh, some of your listeners may know many years ago, and it's, it's a very felicitous one, a very, very precise one. So um, the inner knowing often uses the felt sense, a holistic sense of knowing, that engages the whole body and before it splits into thinking and, and feeling and sensation. So mm. that's uh, uh, at least a preliminary yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, definition of inner knowing. But mainly we begin to get the feel of it because uh, it has a, <clears throat> has a different quality. Um, we feel it arising from deep within us rather than from uh, the prefrontal cortex so usually our attention is localized up in the forehead and in our eyes and um, in our thinking as a separate self. And the inner knowing is, is much more down in the trunk of the body. We feel it very often in the heart area and in the gut. Mm. Yeah, thank, thanks for that. Because, you know, um, I think it's great just to define these terms. And then and you were speaking about the what, did, what compelled you to write the book and then these markers you notice with students. Right. Thank you for <laughs> picking up that thread. So <clears throat> one of the, the primary markers is really the sense of open-heartedness. And, you know, I, I spent one chapter describing that in, in, in touch, but um, it really felt there's so much here to develop, particularly the heart area, the multidimensionality yeah. of the heart. Um, so, yeah, I wanted. I just wanted to uh, lay it out in, with more precision and clarity and depth because it seems central. It's really the heart area is um, area of just great sensitivity and uh, inner knowing, and it's one of the most. I would say it is the most easily accessible portal to a sense of presence uh, for most people and. You know, people have access to this inner knowing um, without sensing the body and, and through different channels. But nonetheless, the heart area feels, feels like um, a central point of entrance. So um, that's why I wanted to talk about it and describe it in more detail. And also, very often, people who are engaged in the awakening process 
um, have to deal with their psychological conditioning um, that developed almost always in childhood and sometimes in early childhood. And often their spiritual uh, process, their, their quest or discovery process uh, gets tripped up by psychological conditioning. And often this localizes in the heart area as well as emotional wounds and, and results of um, early attachment distortions and disruptions and what we call developmental trauma. So it's not entirely localized in the heart area, but um, it's often found there. And the result is it, it creates a kind of armoring of the heart and um, a lot of emotional pain that is stored beneath the, the armoring. So in the process of spiritual opening, if we're really getting to the essence of our being and, and wanting to live it in our ordinary life, in our work and relationships, then at some point this material begins to get flushed out. And um, this is another reason I wanted to uh, write about it in more depth because um, how we approach that and how we are with those that wounding and that conditioning um, makes a big difference. Very often we try to avoid it or we try to fix it. And in both cases, we're engendering more resistance. So to be able to uh, approach it with affectionate curiosity and attention and, and especially from a sense of presence provides an optimal environment for that, that conditioning to unfold. Yeah, I mean, we, we've spoken about this before, I think, at length, and uh, but it's such an important point, you know. This, um, you know, this, this is another reason for me why coaches need to know about presence, about uh, awakening, because so often I, I, I find um, people are approaching their own growth in, from a kind of place of um, I want to overcome it. And I want to control it or conquer it. And, and so there's, you know, and even if they're very sophisticated people, there can be this kind of very subtle rejection of themselves taking place oh, oh. and, you know, in, in the moment. And, and that's why I found, yeah, you know, being, being, a, being in presence has allowed me in my own life to begin to welcome that, that pain, that wounding, that developmental trauma that you're talking about um, in a way that, um, I just don't think it would be, it just wasn't possible previously, you know? Oh. So, so it's like, it's, it's just allowed to be there and without demand. And well, then it. something else happens. Yeah. Then something else happens. Um, we're not, when we're not trying to fix or change ourselves, but we're also willing to be intimate um, with our actual experience. Then we, we, we provide an environment for a natural unfolding to happen and it will happen of its own. That's the beauty of it. It's like these, these areas that are constricted and compartmentalized and, and feel where we feel shame or we feel hurt and rejection. They're really just wanting to be felt and understood and received almost like small children. Um, and so to be able to, embrace them with understanding and patience, compassion uh, allows for a very natural unfolding and integration. And that allows for even deeper dimensions of the heart to arise. Um, so this is one of the kind of one of the key points that I talk about in the book is I 
as a way to kind of picture it, I think of um, uh, <clears throat> the heart area as a portal and, and as kind of like the wave and the ocean and, and at the tip, at the top of the, the, the very surface of the heart area is more of our egoic identity. Actually, it goes fairly deep and uh, to earlier as we drop in and feel into the heart area. Um, often we go to, to deeper and younger levels and um, these, these are areas we've shut off and as we begin to open into them and they, they can feel pretty, pretty dark, they can feel empty, they can feel bottomless, they can feel, we can feel a sense of worthlessness, a sense of being unlovable, things that we couldn't bear as children, uh, we revisit uh, as adults and and begin to open and tolerate and understand. And there's a kind of melting and softening process that happens. And as that happens, there's a further deepening of sensitivity in the heart. And these elements of gratitude and what I would call essential qualities or soulful qualities begin to arise with um, greater ease. We, we feel a sense of gratitude, appreciation, love, compassion, um, so we're, we're going deep into the heart and, and it allows us a quality of intimacy as well, an ability to connect with others um, in a very profound, heartfelt way. And, and it's, um, it's deeply touching and very satisfying to, to contact one another uh, on this level of depth. And interestingly, it keeps going. There's like um, the heart, the, this portal opens up um, out through the back of the heart into a sense of infinite space and loving awareness, which is much greater than the individual body-mind. And, and we can sense, um, how would I say it, the sense of that which holds it all. Uh, there's, there's a great deal of suffering in life and really too much for any individual to bear. But, but we have a sense of something, a field of loving awareness that embraces it all in a sense that no matter what's going on, um, that, that all is well. So these are, these are different dimensions of the heart that I've um, experienced working with people and within myself. And it just feels so important. It's actually, it feels to me, the great human quest is for, to, to allow attention to drop down out of the mind and into the heart so that we, we live from this depth. It's um, intrinsically very satisfying to both in terms of intimacy and wakefulness to feel a sense of non-separateness with the whole of life. Mm. So much in what you said there, but just to pick up on this great quest, you know, I feel that, you know, listeners of this podcast have probably heard me talk before about the, the different ways of knowing which we are being invited to um, discover or recover, we might say, um, and that can help us to kind of navigate these times of, of, of crazy complexity. Well, and, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of exploring them myself, but I think this, one, this is one of them that you're talking about, you know, this journey down from the head to the heart, this sense of intimacy, uh, this kind of knowingness, um, and, and, and kind of support uh, that you describe um, for me. I mean, if I imagine people 
embodying that more and more, then then very different things might start to happen mm. in in the world. Like and 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 also um, again, like if if we are just living inside of the, the, our, our kind of ego that wants to control, wants to know, uh, wants to understand, grasp things, and I think this this kind of heart quality you're talking about could help us to to kind of be more skillful in complexity to, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of be in that kind of sensitivity, that sensing with the support that, uh, that it's okay, you know, that, that we're, we're fundamentally okay. So we can relax and embrace what's here, you know, more, more, um, more mm-hmm. lovingly. Well, this is, this is really such a fundamental point, Joel, this sense of, inherent wholeness and completeness Um, because when people get in this quest of kind of inner growth often it turns into a self-improvement endless self-improvement project and they're constantly working on you know fixing themselves and trying to better themselves as a person and yet um, overlooking actually an an inherent wholeness uh, a completeness that's here and when we tap into this and it's it's not something so much we we may sense it as we hear it described by someone else we can't really think our way into it but we we have sense of it and when we do it just brings such a deep relaxation as you were saying there's just a profound sense of ease like we are fundamentally well and then from that sense of fundamental wellness, we can be open to whatever life brings. And, and that's true uh, within ourselves in terms of our conditioning. It's true with the people that we work with and live with. Uh, and it's true with life in general. So we come from that. And it's a very different orientation to life. There's a quality of, um, of compassion and wisdom that's um, much more consciously available. And I think, you know, we feel our lives um, subtly, at the very least, and sometimes dramatically beginning to orient to this um, way of being. And this is true on whatever level we're working on, whether it's, you know, with friends, with family, with people that we may be coaching, uh, or when we're in a role of leadership, uh, we're evoking just by knowing this and being this ourselves, we evoke this in others and it, and it um, brings it more into the foreground of uh, awareness and thought and feeling and action. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking back to two people I was coaching recently and um, you know, in, in quite, quite kind of um, high up leadership positions, one in, in a, inside of a big bank and um they, they, you know, through um, this process of just welcoming what was here, uh, we, we kind of touched into these, I think, these essential qualities that you describe. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as we touched into this sense of uh, wholeness, that I think that was it, the wholeness that, that emerged. And suddenly it was like, oh, like there was this palpable sense of relief. And like, this yeah. is what I've been looking for, actually. I just didn't quite... I didn't know it, you know, and then um, the, then the impact that that had, you know, there was, I remember talking to them both 
two, three weeks afterwards and something stayed with them. You know, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, um, a, a kind of flash of an insight. Mm. No, there was something like a, 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 that, that sense of okayness and that sense of um, being able to act from that rather to than act from, from that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that, mm. that I think is something so important. Um, uh, in, I mean, maybe I, you know, I'm, I, it could be a, f- a fundamental game changer in, in coaching if, if more oh, yeah. people were to start to work oh. with this depth and, and oh. including the depth, the other depths there here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I, I want to ask you more about the heart, you know, because I, I, this is from my own self interest, you know, this journey, because I, I think, you know, talking about spirituality as well. What I like about your work is that, you know, there, there can be in some spiritual circles a kind of like disembodied spirituality, uh, disidentifying from, um, you know, from experience. And there is some validity in that. But then it's like uh, left, you know. And what I like about what you're doing is, no, there's, for me, the, you know, modern spirituality in, in the world has to have some kind of embodied element and this sensitivity that the heart um, can bring um, is is really important. So I, I guess I, for my own self interest, could you share more about these the multi dimensionality of the heart? And I mean, on a practical level, are you talking about you know the the the, the physical heart, the center of our chest? Is it? Um, and and yeah. Um, so yeah. perhaps you could talk about that and and these different aspects of the heart, and then we could talk more about how you work with people mm-hmm. with the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before I do that, I just wanted to comment, um, you know, the, the person that you were working with said, ah, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. That was um, particularly touching to me because I think it is what we're all looking for and we don't know it. You know, we, we look for it out in the world in terms of accomplishments and we look for it in relationships for others to fulfill us. But to actually discover this native fullness in the core of our being is so, so important and so deeply fulfilling and gratifying. And there's a sense of homecoming. There's a sense of like, ah, you know, I can finally rest just as I am. I can rest as I am. And then to not just rest, but then to begin to move um, from this sense of, of deep, being so it's such an important point and Mm. i I hear this so often and feel it as i as i work with clients and students of mine so to your um your main question though which is kind of more about the heart and how i work with it i am speaking of an area in mid-chest you know i'm not talking about the physical organ um to the left and there is no doubt some relationship between Uh, our physical heart and the heart area uh, in the center of our chest. Um, That's, I think, remains somewhat mysterious. But uh, I'm referring to just sensing mid-chest, the mid-chest area. Um, Because it's interesting, when we, mm, the heart, in a way, is a metaphor. When we say the heart of something, we mean the very center Right, the very core or the essence of something. We speak of it as the heart. And uh, Ramana Maharshi, the, the great 
South Indian sage from uh, late 19th through mid 20th century uh, spoke of the heart of awareness uh, with a capital H, which for him was non-localized. Um, so we have a, a localized heart area in mid-chest and then a non-local or great heart, which is um, really, we can't say it's either in, inside or outside of the body, but can refer to it as our true nature. So when I'm working with people, usually it just arises spontaneously. Um, they'll be talking about themselves and they'll put their hand on the center of their chest or they'll start gesturing with their hands around their heart area. And I'll just bring that to the attention of um, the person I'm working with. I said, oh, I notice your hands are, are, it's almost like they're speaking another language here as you speak. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm wondering what's going on there. So that's an invitation, you know, to bring attention to the heart area. Or I may, because I can, um, for whatever reason, uh, easily sense um, where people's attention is and where it needs to go. I can often feel something moving or opening in the heart area when I'm talking to someone when this is relevant and uh, ask them to, you know, just maybe take a minute, put their hand on the center of their chest and breathe into this area. Um, and each breath, allow your attention to settle in more deeply into the heart and, and just be sensitive to any feeling or imagery or sense of knowing that may be wanting to emerge. And this is then the beginning of the journey. We, we move, we shift attention down from the forehead or out from the you know, outer environment and more sensing into the body uh, and into the depths. And, and then we just continue to explore like what's there and, uh, you know, with, without an intention, and, and this is what we touched on earlier, Joel, without an intention to fix or change, but more with an attitude of wanting to become intimate, willing to be curious, bringing a quality of affectionate attention um, to this particular area. And with that, with that kind of innocent, open, affectionate, curious attention, we gain entry more into the depths of, of the heart area and um, it begins to show itself in, in ways that are um, <clears throat> reveal itself uh, as feeling, as sensation, sometimes as memory, sometimes as voices uh, from parts that we've um, suppressed or put away or frozen. And so there's an intimate dialogue that unfolds where we're just willing as the facilitator, as the coach in this case, um, to invite attention there and track and follow and reflect um, whatever is it is that's unfolding. Now, sometimes it'll be, we'll just feel a sense of contraction in the heart area, a kind of uh, fist uh, tightness or a frozenness. And it may be enough just to feel into it and um, kind of breathe into it and, and maybe ask ourselves, what's, what's in the very center of this? And, and let the question go and um, just allow whatever wants to 
bubble up, do so. So I usually start, you know, at least with a minute or two of, of just sensing in the heart area. And, and if there is some, some kind of distress or contraction, uh, it may spontaneously begin to release. But if it doesn't, if there's a real knot there that's not um, just softening, I'll also ask someone to ask themselves, is there a belief that goes with this? And to be quiet and to feel into their heart area and not think about it and see if a belief comes. And very, very often one will arise. Uh, if we're talking about the heart area, it often has to do with a sense of unworthiness or being unlovable and not enough or something's really wrong with me. And this is very poignant and very deep work because we're, we're really getting into the, the conditioned operating system that often is happening on a subconscious level uh, and that subtly or not so subtly affects how we relate with others and, and how we work. Um, you know, we expect to be rejected or we don't think we'll be appreciated or loved and so we defend ourselves and, and uh, distance ourselves or, or reject ourselves first. And, and so just by beginning to recognize the somatic contraction, the emotional reactions, feelings of shame and, and uh, poor self-esteem, um, the belief that we may have, this complex of subconscious thought, feeling and sensation comes more into conscious awareness. And we begin to then um, inquire from the depths of our being, what is the truth? What is our deepest knowing about this? And with this quality of, of innocent and affectionate meeting and of inquiry, uh, very often this early conditioning that is buried in the heart uh, begins to spon spontaneously unpack itself and, and reveal itself and melt and integrate. So um, that's a little overview of how I often find working uh, what, working. What do you think is happening there? Um, yeah, thank you. I, I, what do you think is happening there when, when you ask that question? Because I've tried that out both, both with myself and with clients and found it to be very powerful. And, and uh, you know, people, something comes up, you know, something. It's a very potent question. What do you think is happening there? Is this the question, what is your deepest knowing about this belief? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what's happening is um, our conditioned mind is being met by the light of awareness, the light of our true nature. And it's a very profound meeting. It's like the meeting of our unconditioned nature with our conditioned nature. And these areas of confusion, really, we could call them areas of ignorance, um, which arose almost always during childhood, sometimes during adolescence, often relationally, sometimes in response to a traumatic event. Because as children, we really don't know what's going on. Um, we can sometimes feel like we've woken up in the middle of a battlefield um, and that it's our fault. You know, we, we just don't have the resources. We don't have the understanding and the perspective. Yeah. Um, to really, um, to really make sense out of our experience. We do the best we can, mm. but 
you know, our, our understanding is very undeveloped and naive and distorted. And so, for instance, if we're treated badly, we think that we're bad. If we're neglected, we think we're not worth paying attention to. This is a child's way of making sense out of their experience. And we do the best we can, and then we move on. You know, we adapt and we individuate. But we leave these frozen aspects of ourself behind. And so what happens is, as adults, we're really um, revisiting these areas of confusion, of innocent confusion, and we're exposing them not only to kind of mature, rational, more resourced adult awareness, which is a lot of what happens, I think, in good coaching, good uh, life coaching and, and psychotherapy, but more deeply as we tap into presence, we're actually, it's like the whole system, the whole conditioned body mind is being immersed or bathed in the light of awareness. Uh, the light, it's a field of, of wakeful, loving awareness and, and the impact is um, profound. The whole body mind begins to reorient actually um, to our deepest nature. And there's an unwinding, there's a melting, there's an integrating and an orienting so that, coming back to your earlier point, uh, we actually begin to embody uh, on a deep level, subconscious level, somatic level, what our deepest knowing is. And I think this is, you know, it's, it's something we're drawn to. We're, we're afraid to very often kind of face our more painful conditioning. But as we do so, particularly from presence and from understanding uh, this process, there's a, there's a very beautiful process of self-liberation uh, that happens in an embodiment of the light of awareness. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about the journey with the heart. So, um, and I'm maybe trying to make a linear journey here out of something which is nonlinear, but, uh, you know, so let's say in the beginning, perhaps there's more uh, uh, a kind of meeting of these frozen parts uh, in the light of awareness and they begin to liberate. Um, but do you then find that, you know, as the heart becomes more sensitive, that, you know, it's also a portal to, to you know, um, or, or, or let's say that something else happens, you know, like these essential qualities start to come online or, exactly. um, or you know, the, the awareness itself can mm -hmm. kind of find a seat within mm -hmm. the heart in some way. I'm just curious, um, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what you find there. Yeah, both of those. Uh, one is the kind of the liberation of essential qualities, which means um, qualities that are, they're not reactive, they're not conditioned. It's, I often think of it as like unplugging a spring and just these, this upwelling of an outpouring of natural qualities of being, such as, and particularly associated with the heart area, uh, would be love and compassion and gratitude, kindness, appreciation. Um, these, you know, these can be cultivated to a certain extent, and you'll see this in certain mindfulness trainings. But the interesting thing is it's actually the, these are natural qualities of the heart. They're inherent. And as the heart opens and deepens, uh, these qualities come more into the foreground. They're more easily accessible. 
and um, become more and more our kind of natural way of feeling in the world. And I know that's, that's true for me and um, many people that I've worked with. There's just more and more a sense of gratitude, not only for what we have and experience in life, but the gratitude to be just the gratitude of this miracle of life that of conscious life that each of us has how how extraordinary so these are the essential qualities and then and a sense of consciously being um, and it's as if the true um, can we say the true emperor steps forward or empress <laughs> you know the mind has been kind of a pretender to the throne and and doing things, trying to do things, trying to control what it can't and trying to know what it can't and, and uh, either, you know, struggling in anxiety or trying to manipulate others in itself. And there's, there's, there's a relaxation that happens in the mind. We, we begin to know, to realize there's much that we know and with the mind and there's, and there's much that we don't. And it's okay to not know um, you know, okay, not to understand everything, not to know everything. We can trust an unfolding in the moment. And this, there's, there's this pilgrimage of attention, this shift of attention down from the head into the heart and into the belly and the interior of the body and, and, and a sense of, this is, this is another very interesting aspect is just how our sense of the body, our relationship to the body changes from being kind of a, outside or on the surface of the body to entering into the body, feeling like we really inhabit the body, that we're really here in a very full way. And then as the body begins to open up, we realize the body is not what we think it is uh, and what, not what we conventionally sense and feel it to be, that it's actually made out of energy and, and it's suffused with space. And uh, uh, so there's a, sense of the body opening up and even as we feel ourselves more and more here more here and more now um, we can't actually localize <laughs> where here is or, or when now is or even who or what I am it's just a sense of this open wakeful presence and, and um, the sense of everything being held in that and as that we we sense the so-called world as a very intimate expression of um of who we really are so these are the dimensions that can open up uh as we work with people and not just kind of resolving psychological conditioning but really opening to uh soul level essential qualities of being a uh, sense of flow and and profound intimacy and and beyond that, the sense of non-separation from the whole of life. Mm. Yeah, like there's a couple of things to pick up on there that I think that are really beautiful what you shared, like that the, these qualities are emergent, you know, rather than um, created. I think that's really fundamentally important um, cool. because, you know, so often we're actually trying to create um, gratitude or, or um you know like i don't know, love and um but it's still come we're, we're trying to create it from that sense of lack 
that we feel, you know, it's a compensatory uh, endeavor in some way. And um, yeah, like that actually, as we just welcome what is and our tendency to want to kind of move away from our experience rather than kind of move into our experience then uh-huh. then it's like these qualities then emerge from from that you know they're they're kind of emerging out of it and um uh-huh. just to say as well there's a lot of talk about flow these days and um you know like um what a beautiful way to live you know in in a place of flow and and then i'm just reminded of how important what we're talking about here is to that you know that Again, if you're trying to manufacture flow, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's how a lot of the, the people I know who speak about it talk about it, but you know, if you're fun, subtly on a very fundamental level trying to create or live in flow um, out of a sense of like, oh, my life would be better, or mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I want to be careful here because I, <laughs> you know, I have the impulse in me too. Like there is a call, you know. Um, there's a call towards something, mm-hmm. but um, that that sense of flow can actually be emerging out of a kind this of relaxation. It. Yeah, right. This is it, and and I think it's realistic to say there is a greater and greater sense of flow that we experience as we deepen into our sense of being. But what's also interesting is we we are less and less attached to any particular experience including flow. <laughs> so it's, our, it's like our non-grasping to flow actually allows flow to be, um, you know, more spontaneously emergent. And, and, but, you know, life can be difficult at times. Uh, we, can, we can deal with hardship and conflict and not to mention um, illness and disability and death that we all face. And these are the you know, existential givens of being a human being. And so we don't always feel well. We don't always feel connected. Uh, we don't always feel in a flow. Um, so we begin to realize that, that flow is also a state. You know, it's a beautiful state. Uh, it can be, you know, um, ecstatic even at times. But, it, but at some point, you know, it, it leaves or it diminishes. It comes and it goes. So this is, I think, a, a subtle but, but really important point. Um, and it, it's one that really took me a while, I think, in my own journey to appreciate, uh, which is what we're talking about fundamentally in terms of presence, is that which is always here, regardless of what experience is coming or going, whether it's pleasant or painful, whether it seems sublime or mundane, there is a fundamental sense of awareness that's here regardless of the particular tone of experience. Mm. Well, uh, that feels like a good place to begin to start to round up. But I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, well, one being where can we find out more about your work and um, the book? And But two, like perhaps what would you recommend to people listening who – you know, have been touched by what you're sharing about this journey from the head to the heart, what would you recommend they do to follow that sense of being touched so that it mm-hmm. blossoms? Mm. Well, um, 
I mean, the first thing is, you know, of course, that's what I wrote the book about. So if, you know, if listeners are interested, that would be a good place to start because I offer a lot of practices in the book and kind of. Yeah, that's really cool about the book. I love that. Yeah. About the book. yeah. So there's that. And, and also um, I'll be putting up a number of practices on my YouTube channel so people can, um, you know, follow those if they like. Um, so those are two possibilities. And then I think the most important thing is that we actually begin listening um, to the heart area, listening and sensing and feeling that we, from time to time, you know, whatever our meditative practices, we may just begin by bringing attention down to the heart area and breathing into it and having a willingness and openness to, to know what's most deeply true um, and to um, be willing to open to and experience that. And that just takes us into our hearts, that, that commitment to truth, I would say, and, and to um, wanting to really live from an essential place to come home. All of those lead us back um, into the heart. And then I do, you know, I offer retreats um, on, in the U.S., mostly on the West Coast, but also on the East Coast. And, and um, we'll, it looks like I'll begin to do so in Europe as well, um, perhaps in Amsterdam and uh, London. We'll see. Uh, so people can go to my website, um, listeningfromsilence.com, and to the public events page, and, you know, if they want to um, attend one of those. Mm. Thanks. Well, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation today, John. Um, really appreciate the just the, the breadth of knowledge and actually also the the kind of, um, how can I put it, but like the humanity you're bringing into spiritual work too. Maybe that's not quite the right way to put it, but the, the heart. <laughs> the heart, okay. Yeah. The heart of it, which is very, very human. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that's the, that's the spirituality of the 21st century, you know. We, we've had a quite some time of um another kind of spirituality and yeah so i appreciate that well it's been as always uh, a delight to to speak with you joel because um you're you're a very attuned listener and and uh i can you know i can sense the flow that we share hello it's me again you are on the other side of the podcast couple of things if you are inspired by this podcast i'd love it if you would share it on our podcast page on our website coachesrising.com you'll find on the individual podcast pages a share button you just click on that and share it away and i forgot to mention brooke's uh website if you like the poem there's it's a great book uh bury the seed so you can go to uh, brookmcnamara.com And of course, uh, you can also uh, go to Amazon and buy it there. So, all right, until next time, be well and thanks for listening. Mm